Welcome to the Saturday Splash. You're listening to me, Rosie, here on Riverside Radio. And today we have a very exciting event. They've let me out of the studio. In fact, we are recording on an evening because coming up at the end of August is International Bat Night. And we are going on a bat walk today for Saturday Splash. Now, I thought I'd pull in a little bit of help. So I've got my co-host with me today. Hello, co-host. Hello. Remind everyone, what is your name? I'm Emily. Hi, Emily. Now, you were on the show a couple of weeks ago. We were talking about all sorts of mammals. And today, you're back to help me with bats. How does that sound? Fun, yes. Excellent. Now, have you ever been on a bat walk before? No. No, I haven't. And what kind of thing do you th- reckon we're going to be getting up to this evening? Any ideas? So, walking around, potentially seeing bats, potentially not. And then just talking about bats yeah, that sounds pretty much it. Now, just remind us, Emily, how old are you? I am 10, 11 in October. Perfect. So you're going to help me, but I do think we need a bit of a bat expert, a bit of a bat guide. And I just so happen to have someone called Steph, who is a friend of the show, who's going to be helping us around. So should we go and find Steph? Yes, we should. Okay, we'll go find Steph and we'll be back after this. Welcome back to the Saturday Splash here on Riverside Radio, where we've got a very exciting edition. We're actually recording this episode in the evening because it is International Bat Night coming up and we are here in Battersea Park. We are going on a bat walk. I've got my co-host, Amelie, still here. Hello. Now, Amelie, we need a little bit of help. So I've called in Steph. Now, Steph is here. Hello, Steph. Hi. You are a friend of the show. You've you've been on before talking about bats, but let's remind everyone, what, what exactly do you do? Um, well, I work at the Natural History Museum in the Angela Marmont Centre for UK Biodiversity, um, and I, where I do a really, really varied job. Um, but my main interest is bats, and I've been studying bats since I was about 12 years old, which is quite a few years ago now. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so I've spent a lot of time over the last x number of years uh serving for bats looking for bats and generally thinking that bats are awesome <laughs> yep i think I, I agree with you bats are awesome um Emily, have you got any questions to kick us off that you're going to help me interview steph so where should we start what exactly is a bat walk Okay, so what we're going to be doing uh, this evening is um, I've got two of my trusty bat detectors with me, which are um, small pieces of electronic equipment which are going to let us listen in to what the bats are doing. So we're going to be hearing some of their echolocation calls. And these are the calls that bats make um, to essentially find their way around the world using sound instead of light. Um, so we're going to be listening for bats using our bat detectors. We're going to be looking up into the sky as well and seeing if we can see their silhouettes as they like fly across the sky um, while it's still a little bit light. Um, but generally looking to see what species we can find and where we're going to find them around the park. That sounds amazing. Now we're here in Battersea Park. We are Riverside Radio. We're just down the road from our studio. And I'm guessing we do get bats in London, otherwise we wouldn't be here. So are we likely to see them? Are there many different species? Yeah, so there's, I mean, across the whole world, there's nearly 1,300 species of bats. In the UK, we're much more restricted. We've got about 18 species of bats which live in this country. And because we're London, our habitats are somewhat restricted. So we're down to about nine species, but that's still really, really good. For a very, very urban city, um, that's still really high population or diversity of species. Um, The reason we have that is actually really because of our parks and actually how green London is. If you look at at London from the air or you look on 
you know, say a, an aerial photograph, there's loads and loads of green space and our parks are really integral to that and how they're looked after by either the Royal Parks or the local authorities makes a huge difference to the wildlife that we've got right in the centre of our cities. So while I haven't surveyed Battersea Park before, and this is brand new so I don't quite know Ooh. what we're going to find, which is really <laughs> exciting, because I walk through Battersea Park a lot because it's on my way to work, um, I really think this is going to be a really great site for bats. Um, I think we're going to find um, several different areas as we go around the park. Hopefully a couple of different species, hoping for maybe three or four if we get lucky. It's going to depend a little bit. Obviously the weather is going to have an impact as well and we'll talk a bit more about that as we go around too. Amazing. Well, a first then, a first for you, surveying bats in Battersea Park. And we should say a big thank you to the team at Battersea Park for giving us the okay to go ahead and look out for bats today. Um, but before we get started, Emily, do you have any other questions we should ask? Yes. What activities will we see bats doing? Great question. Yeah, really, really good question. So um, this time of year, bats are slightly changing their behaviour from what they've done the last couple of months. Um, this time of year is actually really, really good time to start looking for bats because all the young bats which were born in June are now fully active. They're now out of the roost and flying around. It takes about two months to bring up a baby bat to the point where it's actively flying around under its own steam, which means that August is when you've really got the maximum number of bats because you've got all of the adults and then all of these juvenile bats flying around. Um, so we should have lots and lots of them out. It's a lovely evening this evening. It's still gloriously warm, um, but I think we're going to get you know a lot of lot, lot of bat activity. So that might mean that we see um, quite a high number of bats, hopefully. Um, but also we'll see um, bats flying around, looking for insects to feed on. Um, so I'm hoping that we're going to hear a few different types of calls as we go around. We'll definitely hear navigation calls as they're just flying around. These are the fairly slow sort of just looking around kind of echolocation calls. We might hear some social calling with young bats talking to older bats and trying to work out what on earth goes on when you're an active <laughs> adult bat out in the world. Getting some advice. Exactly. Um, good, good spots, you know, where to go, where not to go, that sort of thing maybe. But also we'll definitely, um, on a night like tonight, especially I think if we get a bit closer to the water, I think we'll hear some really good feeding calls because this feels like a night when bats are going to be out and about looking for insects trying to fill their faces with as many insects as possible so i'm going to be asking you to listen for a very strange thing on a bat detector and it's going to sound like a raspberry but i'll tell you why in a bit well i cannot wait emily are you excited ready to go yes i am fantastic well we'll get started we'll head to our first location and we'll be back after this, this is Welcome back to the Saturday Splash. You're listening to Rosie here on Riverside Radio, where if it's your first time listening to this show, we love to talk about nature here in Southwest London. And today we've got a very special adventure. We are here in Battersea Park, where we are about to embark on a bat walk. I'm here with Emily, my co-host. Hello. And our expert and guide for this evening, Steph. Hi. Excellent. Now, we are starting right here by the bandstand that's where we're going to be starting our bat walk this evening and Emily any questions for you what route are we going to take on the bat walk okay so I think for uh, this evening we're going to start off here at the bandstand um, now bats when they first come out they're looking for the slightly darker spaces um, because they come out at night in part to avoid predation by things like peregrine falcons oh, sparrowhawks wow. that sort of thing um, so we're going to head um, 
out from uh, the bandstand down one of the uh, tree-lined um, avenues because that tree canopy over the top will give any bats that are out quite early a little bit of protection, a little bit more darkness and also quite a lot of insects to start feeding on quite early. So I think we're going to start there. And then I want to we'll probably curve round towards the south of the park, I think, because I want to bring us back round again through some of the tree-lined avenues, but then towards the lake, because the lake is, I think, where we're going to find the most numbers of bats. Bats will be really attracted to a lot of the insects which are um, over the top of that lake. So I think we're going to get um, some good luck down there. Uh, I'm getting more and more excited and now we have to wait don't we because it is evening when we're recording this and it's still a little bit light so we do have to wait until it really starts to get a bit dark. Yeah so bats normally come out for about five ten minutes after sunset um, so we've got a couple more minutes until sunset and then the light levels will start to drop down um, and then hopefully we should start to see some bats coming out. Okay, so we've got a few more minutes to wait so Emily I think we've got time for another question if you've got one. What do bats generally eat? Okay, that's a really great question. Um, well, if we think about bats around the world, they actually have a really quite varied diet. Um, some bats are nectar feeders, uh, so they'll go, they're looking for flowers and things like that, and that can make them incredibly important pollinators. Um, they're particularly important, for example, for things like the agave plant. Um, if uh, uh, pe you know, people come across that, you might have heard, heard about it being used in tequila. Ah. <laughs> uh, particularly important for that, of course. Um, They'll also feed, some bats will also feed on fruit, um, so again they're really important for spreading seeds around um, and of course some feed on blood. Now that's a really really interesting one, we don't have any blood feeding bats here, they're all in, so in South America, quite safe, absolutely, no, no danger of that this evening. So they're in South America? They're all in South America, but the true vampire bats are a really fascinating group because there's very very few animals which do exist on blood um, as, as a primary food source. They don't, you know, they don't kill, they don't, you know, they're certainly not um, you know vampires in the in the sense of you know all the literature um, but um, they will go for open wounds on things like livestock cattle goats that sort of thing um, and they'll they'll lap up the blood as it's flowing and they've got a really interesting chemical in their saliva um, which stops blood from clotting so it is actually being investigated as possibly a, a medical issue um, a, as an alternative to say warfarins and things like that so as a could, blood thinner. We could use it in medicine potentially. Yeah, potentially we could but of course what I really love about that is the rather silly name that we've given it as scientists which is Draculin because <laughs> why wouldn't you? So the, the <laughs> chemical that's found in the saliva it's been called Draculin. Yeah. That's, that's a good name. None of those bats that I've spoken about exist in the UK. Everything that we've got in the UK is part of this group of bats called the microbats. So they are different from the fruit bats and the really big bats that you might see if you've got to go away on holiday somewhere amazing and see huge great big fruit bats or something like that. The bats we have in the UK are all insect feeders. So they only feed on insects. And our most common bat, which um, are well, actually two bats, the common and soprano pipistrels, they're our smallest bats. Between those two species, they make up about 80% of the species that we have in the UK and they'll be most of what we see tonight but they will eat up to about 3,000 mosquitoes a night and they're a tiny wow. yeah so really really important for insect control you know in terms of you know used for human health and you know crop um, crop pest uh, suppression things like that but they're going around just hoovering up 
all of these thousands and thousands of insects every night. So really, really important um, to our environment. Yeah, they're helping humans by hoovering up those mosquitoes. All right, well, it is starting to get a little bit darker now. We've still got a few minutes left. Um, we will be really getting started with our bat walk after this. Welcome back to the Saturday Splash here on Riverside Radio and I've got to say I am so excited. They've let me and my co-host Emily, who's still here. Hello. They've let us out of the studio and we are currently walking through Battersea Park. Now we are recording this in the evening because we are on a bat walk. We're currently walking through a gorgeous row of trees and we're following our lovely guide and expert for today, Steph, who's still here. Hello. Now, Steph, you are holding a strange machine. It's black. It's got some, like, a little dial on it. There's some numbers buzzing and a few lights. What exactly is this doing? So this is one of the bat detectors that I've got with me this evening. Um, bat detectors are used to essentially help us to hear bats' echolocation calls. Echolocation calls are really, really high-pitched, what we call ultrasonic. Um, so they're above our normal hearing range. This machine allows us to listen in to those calls, which our ears don't allow us to listen to. So by listening to the type of call um, that we hear, by looking at the frequency on the, on the dial here, um, which will give us, that, that will give us clues as to what species we're seeing. So we're gonna use the information from here to help us identify, not just that we've got bats, but also what species of bats we've got as well. Amazing, so currently it's just making a bit of a fuzzy noise and it's currently on number 45, so that's in that range we're listening to at the moment. Yeah, so 45 kilohertz is a pretty good um, frequency to listen to bats generally, uh, but 45 kilohertz is the peak frequency for our most common bats, the common pipistrelle as well. So it's the one we're most likely to see uh, or hear um, and the one that's also gonna come out probably earliest as well. So Amazing. Now, Emily, you've been keeping your eyes peeled. Have you spotted anything yet? No. Me mosquitoes, but nothing else. Ah, mosquitoes. Now, we, we know that they're important. Um, there's lots of lights, street lights around. Mm. Lots of mosquitoes gathering around the street lights. Is that useful and helpful for bats? So, yeah, the bit of the park that we're walking through at the moment um, is potentially a place where bats might come to quite early because it, we've got a really strong tree canopy here so the trees are like arching over our heads but all the way along this path we've got street lights and this is one of the biggest issues for well all nocturnal wildlife really is artificial lighting the lights that we've got here are quite orange which is for bats not necessarily a bad thing they're not as bad as they could be but lights will change insect behaviour, so therefore change what bat food is available. But it will also make bats feel potentially under threat of predation because they themselves are more, are more visible. They feel a little bit more exposed because yeah. they can be seen. Exactly. Um, now, some bats respond to streetlights in different ways. Our common pipistrelle, for example, they might actually be attracted. They might see it as a food source if um, the mosquitoes and moths and other insects are being attracted to those lights. Other bat species which we might find here, like the brown long-eared bat, is one bat that we might find, they are actively avoiding all forms of artificial light. So it will put those off. So it's going to change what the bats are doing. Have the bats been sleeping in the trees all day? 
Okay, so that's a great question. It's actually one of the reasons why our London parks are so great for bats is because of the trees. Um, a lot of bats will roost quite happily in trees and they'll roost in all sorts of different features. They might take over old woodpecker holes, they might just go for like small little gaps in trees, they might even roost underneath flaking bits of bark on dead trees. And the avenue that we're walking through at the moment is full of these really quite old trees and we've got a mix of oak trees, we've got uh, lime trees, we've got um, a few different species going on here and all of these trees are all showing features where you could fit a bat. Now bats as small as a pipistrelle will get through a gap about a centimetre square so they will roost potentially in these tiny tiny little spaces so they could literally be anywhere in these trees that we're walking past at the moment. It's, am it's amazing to think a little creature flying around out there is can be as small as that. Yeah but the really interesting thing about that size is actually how long bats will live for because age is normally related to body size so the bigger you are generally as a species the longer that species tends to live for whereas bats break every single rule in that regard a similar size animal like say a small mouse might live for a year or two whereas a bat could live for several decades oh wow it could be almost as old as me <laughs> yeah well the, uh, the oldest known bat of the sorts of bats that we're listening out for tonight um, was a, um, a Bechstein's bat which was ringed as an adult and a, a scientist put a little ring like you would do on a bird um, onto, the, onto the bat's arm and then that bat was recaught 45 years later still as a fully healthy adult bat so the actual answer is we don't really know how old some of these animals could get to and that makes them absolutely fascinating that's so cool. Oh, now I can hear that your machine, it's been buzzing in the background, but it just it had a slightly... That's our first proper back call for the night. So that's a pipistrelle. That's actually fairly close to us. We're right underneath the canopy of some trees in quite a dark spot. And I think if we look up, there's two bats there. If we look up, very very carefully and perhaps towards a bit of that sky over there if we're very lucky we might see a tiny little silhouette go past okay Emily keep your eyes peeled and mum you're our bat, bat spotters so that little noise that we can hear on the machine we couldn't hear that just with our normal ears we can just hear that because you've got the bat detector and is that them just saying good morning or good evening so the call we're listening to at the moment this is it's almost like a navigation call this is the bat's normal call think about it so I'm just trying to look for the bats at the same time <laughs> if you think about it as every wing beat the bat makes is squeezing air out of its lungs so that's how fast it's beating its wings um, so this is just it's normal looking around as if it's like on its commute did you see it yeah, yeah you just managed to see one what did you spot it was like a tiny little silhouette um, and it just really quickly flat past. It was nice to watch you and mum both point up at the sky. I, I need to watch more carefully, I think. Um, so they're just navigating around at yeah. the moment. So what's happening here is the call that we're listening to, this is just a navigational call. So it's emitting this call out and then listening for the reflection of that sound, bouncing off, say, the trees and things like that around us. From that call, it can tell not only that there's an object there, but it can also tell the type of object that's in front of it. It's essentially building up a picture of the world around it using sound waves rather than the light waves that we use through our eyes. 
That's amazing. And I think this may be a first for Riverside Radio. You are listening to a local bat in Battersea Park here on the Saturday Splash. Now, we do have to go for a quick break, but we'll be back after this. Welcome back to the Saturday Splash here on Riverside Radio where we're still in Battersea Park. We're recording this in the evening on our bat walk and you might be able to hear some little noises in the background. Um, I can tell you that Amelie has been upgraded. She is now holding the bat detector. How are you feeling about that? Very special, in power. Yes. <laughs> you very much are in power. So Steph has entrusted you with this and have, has it been making much noise? Yes, quite a lot actually. Um, yeah. I think we could just about hear it there. So those little pips, those little sounds, Steph, that's our bats That's our bats flying past. Yep. yep, that's right. That's the echolocation call of our bats flying past. At the moment, we're just hearing these navigating calls. What I want to start listening out for in a minute is going to be some feeding buzzes, which I think we'll probably get quite soon as well. And you've got another piece of equipment. So Amelie's looking after the bat detector there. You've got something else. You're holding your iPhone with something plugged into kind of like the, the port at the bottom that says um, Echo Meter Touch. So what is this? Yeah, <laughs> so this is a really clever little bit of kit. And um, basically it turns my phone into a bat detector, which is absolutely brilliant because I don't need to carry out, not that a bat detector is particularly big, but I just need to carry on this tiny little module which I just plug into my phone, uh, which is great because it makes the whole thing much more accessible, it's much cheaper, um, and I've always got my phone on me so I can always listen to bats. Oh, can you hear one? Can you spot one? Did you see it? Yes, we did. Yay! (laughs) Okay, there's lots of bats now seemingly in the sky around us, Um, so we'll keep our eyes peeled. Now, might we spot something a little bit different using the the bat detector you're holding on your iPhone? Yes, so the bat detector that Amelie's now holding, um, you need to tune it in, so you need to pick the right frequency. The one that I've got is listening across all frequencies, so it's something we call full spectrum, but it's also showing me the sound on my phone as well. Did you you spot some more? I need to start looking in the sky. (laughs) So what I can see on my phone screen is something called a sonogram. So that's showing me a picture which shows me the frequencies of the calls. Gives me a bit more data, a bit more information to help me to identify them. So I can see Steph, actually, as we're just walking along, we're coming up to kind of like the playing grounds and the playground, and there's some bright white lights. You mentioned earlier that the orange lights aren't maybe as much of a problem, but would the bats like or dislike these bright, big floodlights that we've got here? So, yeah, these lights are a lot more of a problem. Um, we're walking past a load of football pitches at the moment, and there's bright white floodlights, obviously lighting up the football. Um, but for nocturnal wildlife, this is really the more problematic kind of lights these high floodlights spread quite a lot of light over a really wide area and also spread a lot of light upwards so we have this huge dome of area which is very off-putting to a lot of species now some species of insect might be attracted to it but you won't get very much wildlife around it and actually it's encompassing a much larger footprint of light than we might think so the trick to this because obviously we need lighting um, is to think and plan ahead for where lighting is going to go so it maximizes the area that's available for nocturnal wildlife while also letting us have fun and play football 
So there's a, a happy medium, a middle ground there. And I guess it's absolutely no surprise that, Amelie, have you heard anything on your bat detector as we walk past here? Nope, apart a few cracklings, but nothing. Not very much. Okay, should we head to slightly deeper into the trees where we might hear a little bit more? Yeah, I can see a nice dark footpath coming up right in front of us, so we're going to head down there. Amazing. We'll be back after this. Welcome back to the Saturday's Flash, where we're still on our bat walk. Uh, we're recording this in the evening. We've moved away from the playground areas. Amelie, my lovely co-host, you're still holding the bat detector. How are you getting on? I'm getting on good, thank you. Now, could you describe for everyone listening what kind of place we're standing in? So we are standing in a little pathway, very dusty, some iron gates um, helping us not go into the wilderness of loads of trees. <laughs> It's very quite dark, um, you can still see faintly the floodlights, the sky is just peeping through as it gets more dark. Um, for some people it will be very nice and atmospheric, but for me it's quite creepy. Okay, we won't keep you here too long then. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and you're hearing anything on your bat detector? Yes, um, lots of squeaks and clicks. Oh. Ah, feeding buzz. That was about feeding. So what we just heard on the bat detector was a slight change. We've still got the same species, which is the common pipistrel bat, but it's just made a slightly different noise. And it's like its echolocation call just sped up really, really fast. Almost sounds like a little zipping sort of sound. Or to be fair, it sounds a bit like the bat's blowing a raspberry. What that's actually doing is increasing the repetition rate of the bat's call. And it's doing that because it's found something it wants to eat. Their normal echolocation navigation call is just for looking around as they're flying about. Now it needs bat echolocation in HD. So Mum Emma, you weren't particularly keen on bats as we've begun this, and I feel like we might be convincing you, but could you describe for when you've been our best bat spotter so far? What kind of things are you seeing? essentially the silhouette so you just see it against the night sky and you can just see them moving really quickly so can i ask you staff have you ever held a bat and if you have what does it feel like okay so i used to do quite a lot of work in bat care so if a bat is found injured um, or just on the ground or doing something a little bit unusual you can call up the bat conservation trust and they will send out a volunteer um, to come and collect the bat from you and nurse it back to health. And I used to do some of that, um, some of the bat care work. So yeah, so I've handled lots and lots of bats through that. Um, and also some of the surveys that we do involve catching bats. So putting traps up um, so that we can actually get them in the hand and identify them that way. Um, so yeah, so I've held quite a lot of bats. You do need to be careful if you're holding a bat and you do need to make sure you're wearing gloves um, because there are risks of disease um, if you're directly handling bats, so you need to be very careful. They're also quite sensitive to being held sometimes, so you need to really know and be trained in what you're doing. In terms of what they feel like, it's really quite interesting, they're very, very soft. Their fur is quite dense and they're, they're really, really soft um, bodied. The wings are, they feel incredibly fragile, they're actually not, they're really resilient. This really flexible, thin, slightly velvety almost skin. Um, so they're, they're, yeah, they're, they're, yeah, they're interesting to hold. And when they're echolocating, if, if you're holding them while they're echolocating, they always feel like they're buzzing. It's like slightly shaking, which is quite strange. Oh, that's amazing. So you can actually feel the echolocation calls. Yeah. 
And if people listening, you know, are excited, they want to go on a Batwalk themselves, you mentioned a couple of organisations there. Can people find Batwalk to go on themselves? Yep, absolutely. Um, so best place to find out information about bats in general is the Bat Conservation Trust. And that includes if you found a bat or if you think you might have bats in your house or something like that. And they've also got loads of information about all the different species. Um, but also locally, there's London Bat Group, which are fantastic. They run loads of bat walks, loads of activities. Um, so, yeah, do have a check out for anything that might be going on around London with them. Um, and if you find yourself outside of London as well, there's um, pretty much county bat groups for every county around the UK. Um, you'll also find some of the parks will run their own bat walks. Um, uh, Royal Parks certainly do in Hyde Park. Um, we've got some coming up in September that I'll be helping out with. Um, but yeah, you'll find quite a lot of the parks will run their own bat walks at night too. That's amazing. Now, your machines, the bat detectors, have been going absolutely bonkers. So we'll, we'll take a break here. We'll listen out. We'll keep our eyes peeled. And we'll be back after this. This is River. Welcome back to the Saturday Splash, where our bat walk continues. Um, we're with Steph, our expert, our guide, our bat enthusiast, and we're with Emily, who's still holding tight onto the bat detector. And we are down by the lake in Battersea Park. So, Emily, have you got any questions at this point? Yes. Do bats like swimming? <laughs> Do bats like swimming? Is that why we're by the lake, Steph? That's not why we're by the lake, I'm afraid. Um, bats can swim, like most mammals can swim, but they're certainly not going to do it by choice. I would never have thought a bat could swim. Yeah, there, there's, um, there's definitely videos on the internet of bats swimming, but by and large it's because they've made a bit of a mistake. Yeah. Um, so, um, for example, I mean, bats do find it quite difficult to get hold of water. Um, so sometimes you will find them like dropping down towards water and things like that. And there is one species in particular called the uh, Dorbenton's bat, which feeds almost exclusively over water, but they don't want to actually end up in it. Now the reason we're at the lake is because it's generally got a higher amount of insects here. Um, so there'll be a lot of insects, particularly where it's been so dry for so long now as well. Um, there's going to be a lot more concentration of insects here around the lake. Um, so the bats are going to be coming in, taking advantage of this concentration of food, um, more than wanting to go for a quick dip. <laughs> <laughs> and I think we've got confirmation of that from the bat detectors. Yep. We've got all sorts of noises happening here. So we've got lots of bats. If we look up into the sky, we've got several. You can hear how it's gone really crackly. Um, we've potentially got several bats foraging around here all in one go. Um, but my detector has just come up and suggested we might have a different species as well, only briefly. Um, so we're going to need to listen a little bit longer um, to see if that comes past again so if we can confirm it. I'm looking up in the sky now and I keep seeing all sorts of different shapes just fly over. So yeah, there are absolutely tons of bats around. Yeah, we can see on the bat detector, I'm watching on the screen as well, and we've got lots and lots of really good bat calls coming through here. So I'd need to go back and check some of these recordings because we're getting slightly different um, echolocation signals, very, very slightly. Still within the Pippa Stroud group, 
but we might add there we go we're starting to get because it's got a bit darker we're starting to get a bit more variation in some of the calls and we've just had a soprano pipistrelle start to come out they quite often come out a bit closer to water but also a little bit later and um, they're a bit a little bit slower at getting out of bed than the common pipistrelles um, some days I don't know how they feel um, but <laughs> Um, but, but yeah, we've just started to get our first soprano pipistrelles out, so that's our second species for the night. Yes, thank you. Oh, right over the top of us there. <laughs> <laughs> wow, we are absolutely surrounded by bats, and it is getting quite late, and not too long the park will close. So, Emily, thank you so much for coming along and joining us. That's all right, thank you for letting me see bats. You've been brilliant with the bat detector. I think we've we've got a, a new expert in the making here. Yay! <laughs> well, Emily, we will say goodbye to you here and we'll hopefully see you again on the Saturday Splash. All right, goodbye. Bye-bye. It seems like we have a bit of a bat party here. We're standing by Battersea Park Lake and... Oh, that was one literally just so close. Do they normally get this close to people? Yeah, they can do. They, they can get this really close. And we're stood here by the lake and they are literally flying at head height right in front of us. And you can probably hear on the detector just how many we've got. We're just surrounded. It's absolutely fantastic. I was hoping we'd get something this good. Um, and it's just brilliant to see all of these bats out here in Battersea Park. It's fantastic. So if people want to head down to Battersea Park, of course, be careful of the opening times. Um, it is late summer that we're recording this, so the park is open, um, but do check it out and head down to the lake is a good spot to find some bats. Yeah, I would say so. Um, so just looking out across quite an open bit of the lake and we can just see them just flying underneath the trees right around our heads and right out across the lake, hoovering up all the insects that are out over there. Absolutely brilliant. Well, Steph, you have been fantastic as always. Thank you so, so much for joining us. Do you have any final words or bat facts or anything you want to share with us before we need to head off? Gosh, there are so many bat facts <laughs> and so little time. Um, no, I would say just go out, enjoy the bats that are in the middle of this fantastic city um, and in the middle of this amazing park that we've got. Come on out, come on out and see them for yourselves. Oh, I think that is the perfect place to end it. Well, um, we are almost out of time for the Saturday Splash. Of course, we've got so much more coming up on Riverside Radio. Stay tuned and we will see you next week. Bye.